0: Welcome to the Master Builders Podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues affecting the building industry. It's the podcast by Master Builders for Master Builders. I'm your host, Max Rafferty, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. How's life over in WA, Robert? Yeah,
1: good, Max. We're getting a little, finally getting a little bit of sunshine and uh, the rain has subsided,
0: so it's all going well. So, Robert, you do a lot of building Tell me about what it is you're building at the moment and how energy efficiency affects those buildings.
1: Yeah, Max, with what we do, we do a lot of infill developments and unit developments and one-off housing. But certainly now one-off housings, um, that is something that the consumer do look for more. We're doing a house at the moment on some acreage, which is totally off the grid, um, which I find very enjoyable. Obviously, Different consumers have different desires, so you're always learning about products. But it's—I wouldn't say it's common and mainstream. It's—I'd like to see more of it. But you know, it's—it's it's a chicken and the egg for me. You have got to have uh, the consumers interested in it, and certainly the suppliers and the support out there for all those products that uh, we certainly want to see on the market from a builder's point of view. If you don't have that supply and the servicing, it's—it's it's hard to recommend it.
0: It's it's interesting you bring up the the chicken and the the egg concept, Robert, because today we're actually gonna be speaking with Simon Dunstan, who is selling a lot of energy efficient houses into the market in Victoria. Simon is the owner of SJD Homes and is a leader in sustainable housing solutions. He also is the man behind Melbourne's first zero energy home. In this episode, he shares his wealth of knowledge on what he has learned on his journey of building and selling energy-efficient and sustainable homes. And I reckon it sounds like Simon may have cracked that egg. Max, I'm looking forward to this interview, so let's get into it and have a listen
1: to what uh, Simon has to say.
0: For those people who don't know who you are, I want to introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Yeah. Hi, my name's Simon Dunstan. I'm the owner and director of SJD Homes. We're builders in the uh, southeast of Melbourne. Probably do uh, know, about 350 to 400 homes a year. Been in the business for probably about 15 15- years.
0: Today, we're talking about selling energy efficient homes. Tell me about your interest in energy efficient housing.
2: Look, I've, I've probably come in, in for, from a few different directions. One You know, you're always looking for a market advantage compared to your competitors. And we could see this was the potential for a niche. But also, I guess the other part is I'm pretty passionate about the environment and, you know, looking at things that we can do better. And our first foray into the zero net carbon market and seven star homes probably happened about 10 years ago. So we've been having a crack at this for quite some time.
0: How's the market changed since you first started looking at this space, the zero energy or the zero carbon housing?
2: Yeah, well, as I said, we we had a foray into this 10 years ago and I, I thought I was going to sell thousands of them because to me it just made sense. And at that stage we were really, it was cutting edge and we had, Seven-star home, we had the the water tanks, we had different systems for removing or using the, the roof cavity to warm the house and all of these, you know, wonderful things. And, you know, as I said, we did a fairly extensive marketing campaign and we're in the papers and doing all the right things. And after about 12 months, I'd sold two of them. So it, back then, I guess the things that have really changed is that the education of the general public is, you know, they certainly are far more aware of it. Uh, the cost of running a house has certainly increased. And I think that that has, you know, heightened everyone's interest in this space. But the other part is the affordability. We started out and we had a a one and a half kilowatt system on the roof and thought we were changing the world. Um, Now, for way less than what we would have paid back then, we can probably get a five kilowatt system in, which is far more efficient and and far more efficient um, panels on the roof and things like that. So I guess there's been quite a few different things have changed. You know, one is there's a greater interest in it, but also the cost to go to these things and uh, double-glaze windows, you know, they were really cutting edge back in the day and now they're pretty par for the course. So, uh, yeah, there's been quite a few dynamics that have changed in the last uh, 10 years.
0: Do you think consumers want these types of homes?
2: A small percentage, yes. I, I think if, it, if you had a decision to make and you said, do you want a house that is really you know um, energy efficient or not it's a very simple answer yes we all want that but I guess the question really is are you prepared to pay for what it costs to go to you know a zero net carbon home or those sorts of things that's probably the real question Because I think we're all aware of it, you know, the the Um, benefits. And I think one of the other things that we found interesting over the journey is if you just talk about the environment or the benefits of that, that's not going to be a trigger for people. What we found over our education is the trigger is really, you know, the, the, the money that you're going to save long term. And I think that was one of our very big learning curves with this project we did with Sustainability Victoria was just you know, finding what levers or, or trigger points are going to excite.
0: So, Simon, you mentioned before that talking about the environment wasn't necessarily working in the sales of these homes. So, so what, what is working?
2: Well, there's, there's a few triggers, but I guess the biggest one is just um, what I call affordable homes. I guess there's two ways of looking at uh, what is an affordable home. When we first think about it, we would usually say, okay, so how much does a house cost? But I guess what I look at is how much does a house cost to run? Now, completely two different exercises. And unfortunately, what drives most people is the first affordable housing, you know, that it is all very much price sensitive. So I guess what we learned is that people would like to move into this space, but so long as they're not penalised financially. So we were really trying to really hone in and we did a lot of time and exercise in this space. We try to educate our salespeople who could in turn educate the public about the cost of running a house and what the tangible benefits are by putting in things like double glazing, extra insulation. Now, one of the other big things that we discovered in this space too is When we built our display, people walked through the home. So that was a very tangible thing too. And what that meant was, A, the house was a beautiful-looking home. They couldn't see anything really too much different. But they would go in and they'd go, well, this feels comfortable. And that was because you don't, you know, a 30-odd degree day outside, you can walk into a house and it can feel like an oven. But with that extra insulation and the double glazing, comfort became, and, and conversely, middle of winter, same thing applied, where you were actually walking through a house and people were surprised that the heating wasn't on, or you know, conversely, the cooling wasn't on. So that was a surprise to them, and it actually opened up the conversation. We were in a market that I didn't want to just sell to people that particular floor plan and it had to be, you know, a zero net carbon home. In actual fact, what we were doing, we were doing what we would call our Z range homes over our whole range. And so what it was talking about was the tangible difference. So, yeah, just quickly, some of those points would have been like double glazing, the extra insulation. Now... When we first started this exercise, a lot of it was talking about trying to get it to seven-star homes and, and above. We discovered pretty early on in the piece to actually get to zero net carbon need to necessarily go that far and that can become quite cost prohibitive. So the way we did it and the way we had success in this space is let's say we had our normal range of homes, whatever it was, then we would say, okay, to do an upgrade you could spend it, let's say it was ten fifteen thousand dollars to actually take it from a normal home, normal six star home, up to zero net carbon, or what we, as I said, the Z range. The other big kicker, obviously, is some of the appliances that you had in there, but also you had to have PV on the roof to get to zero net carbon. By definition, you've got to be able to generate as much power as you're consuming. So, and to me, PV on the roof is a real game changer for so many reasons. Um, as I said, it produces power, reduces your energy consumption, but it will also produce you know, a modest income even when you're not in the house. So those sorts of things we found were the areas that we really pushed into. But we made a, a decision from a company point of view that, For us to make sure this wasn't cost restrictive and um, an impediment to people, we actually made the decision that all of these extra things we would put in at cost price. So we looked at our average house and we said, okay, we're making our our builder's margin on our normal home. We can add this, this and this in at cost and then it is giving us a financial advantage in that space where people were saying, well, it's only $10,000. Even at, say, $10,000, we still found that that actually was cost prohibitive. And I'll give you an example. We used to have what we'd call promos. Every month you'd have this month's promo, that you would have certain things included. Now, when we had a promo that was upgrading your kitchen for stone benchtops and also our Z range, most people chose the kitchen. It's not sexy what we're talking about. People really go you know what I love what you're saying I get it but I'm gonna go with a really lovely looking kitchen. So we actually looked at that again and then we we actually made it a two-step process. We actually said okay we had an introductory offer that was halfway. We were including double glazing a bit of upgrade for the insulation, things like that. And it was only a $5,000 upgrade. Now, nearly everybody jumped on that because they could see the tangible benefits, and we did also have a few other what we call sexy items included in there that got people excited. So from there, it was only a $5,000 increment to put PV on the roof and the double glazing we then included on our sliding doors and a few other upgrades so the perception they still spent that 10,000 dollars let's say but the perception was it was only it was two smaller steps and that's where we had our success now you know that's that was a learning curve for us over the journey and had we not volunteered to reduce our margin on those items i i, I really think that we would have battled in selling any of them. And and finally, I guess the, the education of both people and our salespeople was also part of the process too. There's no point having these things there as an offering if you don't or you can't explain what the benefits are. So I think that's important because I think everyone knows some of these things, but if you are able to actually quantify it, then I think that people all of a sudden... They're quite excited about the prospect.
0: So you've got quite a sophisticated team delivering this by the sounds of things. If you're a one-man band who is trying to incorporate this into their business, how would you transfer yeah. that?
2: look I think that there's a lot of information out there at the moment. all of all builders need to before we get a building permit, we need to go and get an energy rating done. So we're all looking for six stars. So I think that that type of thing, you know, the, the information we're getting already, we don't have to go a lot further to ask the question, okay, so what if we put double glazing on this house? And then you say, okay, it costs me... to do the house of double glazing, for example. Then your energy rating will say, well, okay, that's taking you from X to Y, from six stars to six and a half stars. The insulation, insulation is probably one of the cheaper things that you can do to increase and improve these sorts of things. And again, you would just ask your guys that are doing your modelling just to say, okay, so what if I beefed up the insulation in the walls? and also the ceiling. So some of that stuff is is pretty easy to do. And I guess one of the other points that we would all like to make or I should bring up now is doing it in theory, which is what we just spoke about, is part of it. One of the other things that with a lot of the stuff we were doing with the pilot program with Sustainability Victoria was a verification system. And what that means is that what we said on paper We had to show that we were delivering it when we built the house. And the things we talk about there is the air tightness of a house. Now, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in this space over the last 12 months mandating that it should be compulsory. I'm probably on the other side of the fence because nearly every house that we built that was air tested passed with flying colours. The point was made, well, it probably is a reflection of we're doing something that's pretty good and there's builders out there that might be cutting a few corners. But it, it, it was really simple to actually just be educated with a little bit of knowledge and you can actually just make sure your air tightness is, is not problematic for you. So I think that that was a bit of a learning curve for us as well. You know, as I said, not only in the theory, but in the practical sense, what we're able to deliver.
0: So, Simon, why should builders be thinking about this stuff now?
2: Well, I think for a number of reasons. As I said, I think every builder I know is always looking for an advantage and, you know, a niche market. So that's sort of the here and now. But what is really on everyone's doorstep in the very, very near future is going to be the changes to the NCC. So the changes basically are by. 2050, I believe, you know, it's going to be compulsory for all new homes to be zero net carbon. But what's happening very soon is going to be that the fact that NCC is going to be changed probably middle of next year. And a lot of these things are going to be mandatory. So whether we like it or we don't like it, it's going to be part of our life. And I guess my uh, comments to all builders would be it's not that bad some of this is just the learning curve for us as builders and you know it, it will be like all of these steps when we went from five stars to six stars when we went six stars plus you know they were big leaps and I think we we're all nervous and scared about it because we worried it's going to erode into our market but a lot of the stuff is, is relatively straightforward and easy. And once you've done a few of them, they just become the norm and it will be just part of what you do. But also the other part of that that I think is really important is it has staggered me how much we've been getting phone calls from people all over Australia are asking us about our experience in you know, the building of zero-net carbon homes. And these are not just other builders. These are also people who are some of our decision makers. And I guess what scares me with some of these things is that the decision makers of the NCC don't have a lot of practical experience. So if you builders out there are also concerned about it, you really need to reach out to, you know, the various organisations like the Master Builders and just ask for some information in this space because one of the things that they're really trying to push for is that every house has to get to seven stars. Now, my point in that is there's there's quite a few points, actually, but I'll go through a couple of the major ones. If the end game is to get to zero net carbon, you can actually do that now without going to seven stars. So that's the first part. The second part is... And that just simply means you can put a PV on the roof and that will generate. So the other part is the house, our display home, we were able to get to seven stars because we had the right orientation. We were lucky. All of our living areas were facing north. Now, let's say, you know, Max, you had the the block on the other side of the street. It would have been problematic and a lot more expensive for you to get to seven stars, than it would have been for me. So, straight away, there's a cost impost on 75% of people that don't have the right orientation. Now, that's not fair when the average person doesn't know about what we're talking about and they go and buy a block of land, they come to a builder and the builder goes, Wow, you've got some issues here. Now, that's not fair for 75%. So my point is, and what, you know, I would probably be proposing, how about you turn around and say, well, let's get to maybe six and a half stars, and if you can't get to seven stars, well, let's mandate that you must have to put a PV on the roof. And by doing that, it's not going to be as expensive and it's not going to force the people to drastically reduce their window sizes or move their living areas or do things like that the average person falls in love with the display home. And then if you have to turn around and say to them, look, sorry, guys, but you, you know, that house you like, can't build it on your block of land. It's just not really fair. I definitely agree that our the way we build needs to be improved and I think that we could should constantly work on that.
0: Yeah, it, it's been really interesting. I mean, I've had some conversations about you know there's a lot of lot of houses that can't can't have pv on the roof
2: you, if you turn around and say okay i can't put a pv on the roof okay let's say we're talking unit developments and things like that okay put a battery in because a battery will do and give you benefits similar to what solar would just by buying power at the middle of the night when nobody needs it or buying it off people that do have solar in the middle of the day. You charge your battery up, and then when it peaks, when everyone comes home, you discharge your battery. Because in South Australia, because they've got, let's say, a pretty ordinary power system out there, they're doing all this. And they are just doing it where they're going, well, it's one or the other. It doesn't have to necessarily be both. But you put a battery on, everyone's got room for that, and it can solve some of the problems.
0: That's super interesting. I'm peachy keen to actually talk more about that as a concept because I know that here in the ACT, you know, if, you know, the, any any power I'm producing now, I'm going to have to start to pay that to put it, to put it yes back and in the
2: no. grid. So just on that, you can actually set up your power. Most inverters these days have the ability to shut off. So let's say you got to a point And they said, right, well, you're actually going to have to pay now. And that's because the system is archaic. So community batteries and all of that will help solve that problem. But you can also get your inverter that it will actually switch off. So let's say it's the middle of the day, it's buzzing away and whatever, and it's starting to go back to the grid. You could turn that off. You can just have that automatically doing it. So you're not actually getting penalised for that. So there are things like that, but a, ba- mm. a battery is a better solution.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I love, I love that thought that yeah, I've never thought that there would, might be an advantage in having a battery.
2: Well, Max, one of the things that really excites me is where we're potentially heading is you start talking about EVs, electric vehicles. Now, the average battery that you have on a house is 5 or 10 kilowatts. The smallest cars have got a 17-kilowatt battery. The bigger ones have a 60-kilowatt battery. So if you start thinking about using those as not only for driving, most people don't travel 500Ks in a day. So they've got this mobile battery pack that they can charge up during the day, discharge it at night, and you think about the the problems that would solve in the world.
0: Yeah, it's really... I mean, there's a, there's, a, it's really, there's a lot more talk uh, about the embodied energy of things is another thing that's coming up more and more from governments now. And I wasn't hearing that three years ago, but now I'm starting to hear it more, mm. more and more.
2: Yeah. No, so, it's a, it's, it does. I, I love this space because I, I just think that, you know, sometimes when you look at what's going on in the world, you can get pretty depressed about it. But when you start kicking over a few rocks, you mm. can actually see there's some pretty cool things and exciting things, you know, that are really available.
0: Thanks, Simon, for your time. It's fascinating to hear from someone who's been successful in the net zero space. Really appreciate your time and sharing your insights with us.
2: Mate, it's been a pleasure. Um, always happy to have conversations in this, these sorts of areas because it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about um, for a lot of reasons. And as I said, you know, uh, more than happy to... Reach out to anyone, give any learnings that I have to anyone that's interested.
0: Well, how cool was that, Robert? I love, I love listening to Simon talk, and I love listening to the talk about all of the new and emerging technologies. What did, what, what did you take out of that, Robert?
1: Yeah, listening to that, Max, is very interesting, I guess, from an industry point of view and a building point of view. But the first thing that came to my mind was that when you're in that space and obviously Simon's in that space and he lives and breathes it and he has uh, a much more detailed, I guess, clientele and following. But when you try and bring that into my world and in the mainstream, people that are dabbling in it that don't specialise in it, it's you know it just struck me as a lot more difficult than that in the mainstream so that's the first thing I thought of but it really excited me to listen to Simon and his passion about uh, what he's actually doing in that space.
0: Yeah I, I thought that one of the comments Simon made around you know understanding about the block that you're putting these kind of houses on and how much of an effect it has and the the difficulties we as builders have in explaining to clients that they've actually got a dog of a block. And because you've got a dog of a block, we're going to have to do a whole lot of things that are going to cost money to get it across the line. Yeah, Max, good point. Well, when you talk about a dog of a block, which might be
1: a difficult block, I guess, for the people listening, uh, when you're talking about the compass, so you've got north, south, east and west, and uh, if you've got a north-facing or a block that's favourable, then, you know, certainly that works and it's cost-efficient to design. But when you have a block facing the wrong way, when I say the wrong way, that's going to make it difficult and more costly to meet the requirements, that's when it becomes difficult and a little bit unfair. And the consumer, when they're buying blocks and you look at a north-facing one and they're paying a bit more for it and they go, oh, I don't want to pay that for it. And then you see the south-facing one and you go, well, I'll buy that one because it's 50000 cheaper. But what they don't understand at that point in time, they're actually buying a whole lot of headaches uh, when they get to the planning stage and meeting the requirements. Yeah, I,
0: I, the other thing that I found really interesting about talking to Simon was his, his thinking around the use of batteries and things like electric vehicles. Uh, I, I have to say I'd never really considered batteries as standalone items that could be useful in, in a house that I, I guess is performing well in regards to energy use, so, you know, the thought of using a battery without a peak piece system, a battery to, to get, I guess, excess energy out of the grid and store it on site and then use it in peak times. That to me was a, a really, it's it just a concept that I guess it sort of blew my mind a little bit because I'd never thought about it. Yeah,
1: Max, I think that's one thing in the future as we understand these products and how we can use them, and especially if you can generate, I guess, electricity or power and store it and then use it to charge a vehicle and then the next day drive
0: it at no cost. To me, that's a perfect scenario. And Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that you're right. There's a really big picture here that I think there's been you know it's really difficult to mesh it all together because it's complex you know these things are complex things and you know i think you know complex things are complex and so how how do you communicate how these things will work how do you how do you how do you get to a point where people can understand it and embrace it and i mean i guess these are the challenges that are ahead of us
1: yeah max one thing that i, I think about how do you do that is in simon's world He's got clientele coming to him that are looking for his product and attracted to him because of what he does. In the majority of our industry, a lot of people aren't switched on to that. So, you know, when we, if we're trying to convert them in mainstream, then the only tool we have to sell something or get them to change their mind into a product that's more efficient is dollars, Right. Um, so if they're not looking for it and haven't, so if we can convince them, are you going to get the same comforts out of it. It's going to be good for the family. It's going to be good for them. It's not going to cost you any more, but you're going to tick a box in energy efficiency. Then you've got some hope.
0: Well, you raised a really interesting concept there, Robert, about dollars and how we talk about these things. And I think you'll find in the next episodes, we're going to address some of those concerns. So thanks for joining us on the show and To everyone out there, thanks for listening. I'm Max Rafferty, and until next time, stay safe.